Welcome to a bonus episode of Rework, the podcast by Basecamp about the better way to work and run your business. I'm Waylon Wong. And I'm Sean Hildner. Recently, I noticed Basecamp's CTO, David Heinemeyer Hansen, has been tweeting about a framework he wrote called Ruby on Rails. And I realized that many of our listeners to this show, and certainly at least one of the hosts, aren't really that familiar with what Rails even is. So I decided to just ask him. David is extremely good at explaining complicated things to idiots like me. And the way he talks about writing code is just really beautiful. So here's my conversation with David Heinemeyer Hansen on creating Ruby on Rails. Do you want to just start out by uh, telling me what Ruby on Rails is? So Ruby on Rails is a toolkit. It's a toolkit for building web applications kind of like Basecamp kind of like GitHub, kind of like Twitter, kind of like any of the web applications pretty much that I think most people would be familiar with using the web. And toolkit really means it's a series of what we call in computer language frameworks and libraries that just makes the act of programming easier. That You're not starting from scratch. You're not building a house by first putting clay on top of, uh, of straws and baking your own bricks in the sun. That's pretty much how a lot of uh, programming can be like if you're not using frameworks and libraries. You're, you're essentially trying to make your own bricks before you start building a house. Well, as it turns out with houses, as with software, it's a lot easier if someone else just made the brick and the PVC pipe and the faucet outlets, and you just have to put things together. And that really is what, what Rails is. It's all these standard building blocks that most people will need most of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, Rails is built on top of a specific programming language called Ruby. That's how it got to be Ruby on Rails. Actually, it got to be Ruby on Rails because I could not get Rails.com or Rails.org. <laughs> and then I was like, I have to come up with another name for this in order to get the domain names. So I was like, yeah, what about Ruby on Rails? That sounds good. Um, but what was kind of neat about that was it's not just about Rails. It's just as much, if not more so in many ways, about this unique special, beautiful programming language called Ruby that was first uh, christened in 1993. Actually, just a few days ago, I think it was early this week or late last week, Ruby celebrated its 26th birthday, which is kind of amazing in its own right. Um, There's been hundreds of programming languages over the years. Most of them have not made it to year 26 and still been able to celebrate being in vogue and still being used. Um, But Ruby has. And I think it's because Ruby is special. And it's it's not just special to me. I think it's special to a lot of people. But I'll talk about why it's special to me. Sure. When I first encountered Ruby, I had been doing programming for a few years. Um, I dabbled sort of in programming for even longer than that. But I had already sort of been making stuff for a couple of years. I'd been using something called PHP in particular. I had also worked with Java. I had also worked with a, with a Microsoft um, setup called ASP. But working in those domains... It was sort of one of those things where you go, it's fine. It kind of does what I needed to do, but I'm not exactly like enjoying myself. Like I'm not just waking up in the morning. Oh man, I wish I could write some more PHP code because that's just inherently (laughs) fun. I was writing PHP because I wanted results. I wanted specific applications and PHP was fine for doing that. 
Well, what happened then was um, we're actually about to build base camp. And I kind of felt that I had the authority, in part because Jason didn't really know uh, either way, (laughs) to pick the language and the environment that we should build this in. And I'd been uh, sort of observing Ruby from afar for a while. I had been reading about these other prominent computer scientists and programmers who'd been writing articles explaining programming techniques and using the Ruby programming language to do that explanation. And usually they'd always preface their article basically saying, yeah, I know no one is really using Ruby for commercial stuff, um, but I really like it, so let me show you this idea in it. And I went, well, if all these esteemed people in the industry would really like to write Ruby, but they just can't for various commercial reasons. Why wouldn't I write Ruby if I'm not barred from doing so for commercial reasons? Here, basically, you have this opportunity to create Basecamp from scratch in something new. So I can choose to use Ruby. And I gave myself this test. I was going to spend one week just getting basically familiar with the language. And then I think I said within two or three weeks, I had to feel like I can do this. I can actually write Basecamp by myself in this brand new programming language I haven't really um, used a lot before. And it, I mean, it was barely before the week was over before it was completely head over heels smitten with Ruby the programming language. I mean, it really just blew my mind. And I'm imagining myself going through that. um, It's not the cosmic brain thing. It's that other guy that goes where you see his uh, sort of hands explode and things fly out of his brain. That was really how I felt getting into Ruby because Ruby just had so many answers for questions I didn't even know were possible or were there to be asked. What does that mean? It means that a lot of the constructs of the language itself were just really novel uh, to me and they were novel in ways where they were addressing issues and pains that I had felt in PHP, but I didn't know could be cured, that I didn't know could be addressed in these elegant fashions. One of the main areas of discovery I had was this thing called metaprogramming, where you basically, you're writing a program that writes another program or that generates programming. And Ruby just has an exquisitely nice way of doing that, exquisitely nice way of metaprogramming, where you're you're writing a, a small program that then generates a larger program. And that allows you to turn something that used to be sort of this large drudgery into something that just feels so elegant. We call this um, DSLs, Domain Specific Languages. And Ruby is exceptional at writing domain-specific languages. And that's why when you look at a piece of beautiful Ruby code, it really kind of reads like English in a lot of cases. You can structure the language and its use in such a way that even a non-programmer could look at a piece of Ruby code that's really nicely written and go, yeah, I, I get that. I understand how that works. Hmm. That's not a super common thing in programming languages. Sometimes that can happen, and you can kind of do it with toy examples in a lot of languages. But with Ruby, you can really do it for most things most of the time. And that's kind of exceptional. And it's not just because, oh, well, you could get a non-programmer to read this piece of code. That's, that's not something that happens a lot, right? It's that when you get to that level, when you clear that bar that anyone could read it, it's because it is simple and concise and straightforward in a way that 
is intensely satisfying as a programmer. So for me, discovering Ruby was really discovering software writing, not just software construction, not just software putting shit togetherness, but software writing in a way where I became inspired to write elegant code, to write really pure, readable, succinct, clean code, not just getting it to work. A lot of programming, especially for people who are not programmers, they think of like, oh, you you do programming because you want to get something to work. Yeah, that's one aspect of it. That's one reason why we program. Uh, But it's not the only reason. There's also an an expression of creativity and an expression of self and an expression of taste when you write, just like there is in writing. Uh, Different writers have different styles. And I I also write a lot of um, normal prose. the books or blog posts or whatever and i find the same sense of enjoyment in both endeavors and a lot of that is about ruby allowing you to think and act as a software writer that it takes so much of the distraction of the programming nonsense away it kind of boils it down to just its essence and then when you're dealing with just that essence it is so much easier to get into this flow state where you're you're kind of dancing with the words in a way just the same as I do when I really get into to writing prose. We're, we're writing the books. You really get into writing this essay and you're trying to find just the right expression, just the right words, pare down the paragraphs until they really just pack punch. And you get to do that in Ruby in much the same way. And it's just invigorating. Anyway, that's a long way of saying that Ruby is an exceptional programming language, one that transitioned me from being a programmer who programmed just to get programs to being a programmer who programmed for its own sake. That's almost sort of like a programming programming riddle. Um, <laughs> but it was really true, and, and I think it, it put my programming career in a completely different trajectory than the one that it was on. Because I started just being infatuated with this sense of progression and getting better and learning all the nooks and crannies of the Ruby programming language in much the same way that I've tried to master English as a second language and then as the primary language that I use for writing. Uh, that was how it felt with Ruby. And it just had such an invitational gravity to it that I just I couldn't put it down. I wanted to write more Ruby. I mean, I also wanted to use it to build some stuff, but at at times it almost became secondary what I was trying to build. And the primary purpose was dancing with this beautiful language. Yeah, I think you tweeted about that last week about how if you weren't using Rails or building Rails to build Basecamp, it would have been something else. Yes. It wasn't that Basecamp was just my true calling of an idea and I Mm -hmm. couldn't imagine doing anything else. In fact, Jason and I had worked on several projects prior to Basecamp, including the first one we worked together, which was an app called Single File, which was a way to keep uh, track of your uh, books and who you'd lend it to and which you had and so forth. And uh, we built that in PHP. And if, if that had been the project that we had embarked on when I discovered Ruby or chose to dive into it, it would have been much the same. I would still have, I'm sure, fallen in love with Ruby and then realized that at the time I fell in love with Ruby, not a whole lot of other people, especially in the West, were in love with Ruby. There was this small, passionate community 
where almost none of the members got to write Ruby professionally. I showed up to the first Ruby um, conference that I went to, which I think was like RubyConf 3, the third major uh, American conference for Ruby. And maybe we were like 42 people there. And I asked, I remember when I did my presentation on Rails, how many are writing Ruby professionally? How many people get paid to write Ruby? I put up my hand because Jason was paying me to write Ruby and (laughs) one other person put up their hand. That was it. There's literally in that congregation, two people who got to write Ruby for pay. Everyone else was just writing Ruby for fun. Do you know why that is? Why it became like a hobby language instead of a professional language? It was more the other way around, that it started as a hobby language, that it was not well known in the West. Um, And part of that was, it was, it came out of Japan, it was uh, christened there in 93, and the Japanese community and the Japanese language barrier, I think, um, didn't exactly accelerate its growth in the US. And I think also around that same time, um, there were just some behemoths pushing their own languages. Uh, IBM and Sun were pushing Java and Microsoft were pushing whatever they were doing. And a lot of organizations and programmers saw those as the safe choices that you either went with um, one of these big commercial languages or you went with some of these other open source uh, languages like Perl or Python or PHP. They were all created by Westerners and all had documentation in English and so forth. Uh, Ruby had to overcome, I think, first its language barrier. And then it had to grow a community of self-sustaining sort of mass in the U.S. and in in, in the Western world, uh, which was a lot about just getting documentation and books out in English and also having a purpose. There were a lot of programmers who thought, oh, man, Ruby is really neat. I'm not sure what to use it for. Like, I don't know what should I build with it. There wasn't an obvious answer for a while, and Rails helped provide one obvious answer. Oh, you can use Ruby to build web applications. That was really my contribution, I think, to the ascent of Ruby in the West was to give it a purpose, a clear, defined purpose that was very easy for people to onboard. They weren't learning Ruby just because, oh, let me learn another programming language because it's fun to learn programming languages. There's certainly programmers like that. I really respect them. I'm not one of them. I'm learning programming language because I want to do something. Um, then, I, as, as we've talked about at length, I then fell in love with Ruby, and I, I, I am so thankful that I, I got exposed to that. But it wasn't the initial motivation. The initial motivation wasn't just, oh, let me learn one of the hundreds of programming languages you could possibly learn just for the intellectual stimulation. I learned Ruby because I wanted to build something real in it, and I thought there was a a better way to do it than the environments that I had used before. And then we wrapped this whole thing up, or I wrapped this whole thing up, in a neat, extremely accessible package. And we, I used some techniques that at the time were not that common for open source packages and certainly not for programming languages that weren't being pushed by a commercial backer. I treated it like it was essentially a product, a commercial product that I was pushing. So I invested my time and my effort into marketing. Uh, And a lot of that was, of course, just guerrilla marketing. It wasn't exactly I was buying billboards. There was no money behind this, but it was using guerrilla marketing tactics of creating awareness, provoking sort of dogmas and uh, making a mark for the Ruby programming language through Rails and then 
as it as it were, we had Basecamp that was taking off at the same time and, and allowing us and allowing me to use that as a case for this really works. This isn't just an intellectual exercise. Look what I built. Do you want to build stuff like that? Here's how I did it. You can have it for free. I've spent many hours documenting the stuff. I recorded videos, uh, screencasts, which was not at all common at the time either. And I think it also just fundamentally represented a, a real substantial leap forward for a lot of people compared to what they were using at the time. The Ruby on Rails truly, legitimately was better. Mm-hmm. As in, it made the work that they had to do much easier. It extracted a lot of things that programmers kept doing over and over again, that a lot of programmers truly were uh, making their own mud and turning it into bricks. And I showed up and said, hey, you don't have to do that. You can just use all these bricks for free. And not that surprisingly, that was a pretty compelling argument. Can you talk a little bit about the Rails community as it stands today? Sure. We've come a long way from 42 people at RubyConf. We, we really have. And we came a long way very quickly, which was also sort of interesting. Ruby had really a rocket ship ascent. After Ruby on Rails was released in 2004, it only took, I think, like a year and a half before we did the first RailsConf, of which I think 300 people showed up at. Oh, wow. Then we did another RailsConf the following year, and I think like 800 people showed up. And then we did another RailsConf the following year, and like 2,200 people showed up. So it had a very quick ascent, and it captured the spirit of that time, the reemergence and resurgence of web applications and developing for the web just at the right time, which really just brought it to the forefront of Mindshare um, rapidly. And then, of course, there's some growing pains, I think, that come with that. One thing is that people just extrapolate from that and thinking, oh, because you grew exponentially year over year, that that's going to continue in eternity and Ruby is going to be the only programming language that you're essentially allowed to write web application in. Which is, of course, other nonsense. Um, so we kind of just reached a level of self-sustainingness for the Rails community very quickly. And then we just kept at it. I think that's the other thing that's kind of unique with the Ruby and Rails community is certainly for my involvement, um, I just stayed on. Like, I've been working on Rails now for, what's that going to be, 16 years? And I'm still doing that. I mean, I'm we're working on Rails 6. I worked on a bunch of the frameworks that's going into that. I'm, I'm constantly tinkering and tweaking with. I'm reviewing pull requests, which is amendments to the framework by uh, contributors. And I'm having a grand old time doing that. And I think that the transition was that there was a transition of its public perception. Not so much a transition of my involvement. My involvement and the involvement of many other people who've been in the community for a long time stayed kind of stable. We just kept using it and kept improving it and kept making it better. Um, But obviously you can't sustain the explosive awareness um, campaign that we had in the early days 16 years later. Sure. Like nothing is that hip for that long. So we had to transition from being this hip thing, this on-trend thing, to just being this good thing that people just wanted to use because it was good, not because it was new or novel. Because 
Ruby on Rails isn't new and novel anymore. It's still different, surprisingly so, to my surprise as well, in part because we have a different set of trade-offs and different set of values in this community than a lot of other programming communities do. And we've tried to spell some of those out in um, more detail. There's a document on the Ruby on Rails.org website called The Doctrine, where I spell out a bunch of uh, values and choices that informed my development of the framework and help explain why to this day Ruby on Rails is still an odd one out and why it's still appealing. Um, but nonetheless, um, that novelness wore off and we went through several other cycles of other environments that then rose to prominence, JavaScript, for example, and then they became novel and then within JavaScript... Uh, some framework is usually novel for, for a few months at a time, and then there's something else that's novel, and that's how it should be. Ruby on Rails was never created for world domination. It was created to satisfy my desire to write web applications with this beautiful programming language called Ruby. And that that's enough. It doesn't really need more than that. I mean, I would still be writing Ruby and doing Rails, if it was me and two cats and, a, and an oyster. But uh, <laughs> thankfully, there's more people than that, right? There's, I think, <laughs> a million and a half active Rails applications out there. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of programmers have, um, over the years, worked with Ruby and Rails. And we have um, thousands upon thousands of contributors to the framework itself. So the... Community has simply just, I think, matured. Like it's no longer uh, a motley crew of cowboys riding west. Like we founded a city and built a city state, and like now we're worried about picking up the trash and <laughs> the bus schedule and sure. sort of more mundane, civilized questions that you deal with when you've worked in the same community for sixteen years. Well, that's awesome. That's perfect. Thank you so much, David. Awesome. Sure, my pleasure. <laughs> 